You are listening to a podcast providing education on how you can spot, report, and prevent trafficking. Through survivor-informed content, our team of survivors, industry experts, and community leaders are committed to increase survivor identification beyond 1% as the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be on watch with us. Hello, my name is Brittany Dunn, and I am the Executive Director of OnWatch. Today, I'm joined by my co-host and CEO of Safe House Project, Christy Wells. Thank you for having me. We are so excited to be on today. Safe House Project has the honor of walking alongside many of the safe houses that provide restorative care opportunities to survivors that people like you help identify. We have to make sure that once they're identified, they have a safe place to heal to really prevent them from re-entering into that cycle of victimization. Today, we are joined by Brittany Higgs, who runs an amazing program out of Montana. (laughs) And we have just had the pleasure of seeing them walk alongside survivors and really move them into a place of healing. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, girls. It's good to be here. I, I know that you guys have just poured so much into your survivors and into your community and work to accelerate some cool new programs across the U.S. So we'll talk about the new programs coming up in a little bit. But before we go there, we'd love for you to share. I know you and Sammy have such a unique story. Share with our listeners what moved you guys to become of the become part of the anti-trafficking movement and what were kind of your next steps as a family to move into that. Yeah, no, our our story started about eight years ago, and I had a friend who had gone to India and Nepal, and she was working with an organization over there where in the red light district where they go and they help women that are in the brothels and the children that are there with their moms when they're working. And when she came back, we got coffee, and she just told me the atrocities of what human trafficking actually looks like. And she told me about this one brothel in particular where kids don't see the light of day for years. And I, we all know horrible things happen in this, this world, right? But I didn't know the extent to what human trafficking actually was. And in that conversation, my heart just broke in a way that I had never been broken before. And you can't, you can't go back after that. After the veil's been lifted, you're like, okay, my life is forever changed. Now what do we do about it? And for about a year, we just prayed and we were just like, okay, what can we possibly do? I'm a filmmaker by trade. My husband and I had started a film company together and we were doing documentaries and uh, commercials, films, short films, all of that. And we're just like, well, what can we do? So we started by just doing partnering with organizations and doing documentaries and trying to bring more awareness to it. And as we stepped into that, we realized, oh my word, this isn't just an overseas problem. This is a United States problem. This is a Montana problem. This is a Billings problem. And we need to, we need to focus on right here. During that process, I also took two trips to Iraq with an organization that was helping to rescue women that had been sex trafficked through ISIS. And so right after ISIS hit Sinjar Mountain in 2014, 2015, all of these these women were taken and they were enslaved and lots of thousands and thousands of people died or ran to IDP camps. And we, we went shortly after that and I sat down to document these women's stories that had just been re- rescued a couple months prior women as young as women and girls as young as eight years old 
And as I'm sitting there and I'm hearing bits of their stories and I'm, I'm seeing them, I mean, it broke, it broke me even further. I was like, oh my goodness, actually sitting down with these women. I'm like, what do we do? What, what can we possibly offer women that have been in this industry that have been victimized by trafficking? What can we do? And I came home from that on fire, but totally broken. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm just going to do documentary filmmaking. I'm going to partner with organizations to bring more awareness for this. And we had an opportunity to go with an organization for a year and do just documentary work. And I was like, heck yeah. But as we prayed about it, we felt very clearly the Lord was like, no, be still. And I was so angry because I'm like, how can you, how can you put this in front of us and then tell us, no, be still. And what that ended up being that year springboarded my husband and I in this crazy healing journey on our own, where it was, we went through two and a half years of just unraveling, where we really felt like God was saying, no, I'm preparing you for something, but you're going to bleed all over the people that I'm calling you to serve. So you need to get your poop in a group. Like you need to be able to heal your heart first. And it was, it was devastating and amazing and the most beautiful thing that we had ever experienced super hard. We had a super great supportive community and mentors and people that counseled us that really walked us through that healing journey. And towards the end of that, we had founded the Her Campaign and we were just like, okay, we're going to bring more awareness to this issue. And then our lives drastically changed when we were like walking out in the hills in eastern Montana, not even thinking about anything to do with trafficking or whatever. We had two young boys at the time. We were running them out in the hills and just being like, okay, you know, just go out and do your thing because they were being stinkers that day. And out of nowhere, I just had this vision. It was like lightning through my body. And I just had this vision of a safe house. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, you need to start a safe house. We had no idea what that looked like. We didn't even know anybody that had ever started a safe house. And we're filmmakers. Like, we don't, we're not equipped for that. We have a young family. We don't, we don't even know what that looks like. But that's how it started. So that's what got us into this thing. <laughs> I just love that every time we hear somebody's story, he God is just moving people from whatever part of life that they thought they were on, that path that they thought was for them. He's like, oh, that is great. I am so proud of the work you did over here. Oh, by the way, I'm going to take you way over here and you're going to learn something completely new. But he has woven so many of those pieces together for you all and brought those back full circle at different times in your journey. So it's been beautiful to watch you guys kind of go through that process. I wasn't even aware about the ISIS part and about that work that you had done over there. So, I mean, how has that informed your work now? Man, I I think it was the springboard to show us how important long-term residential care is across, I mean, across the world, right? Like what these, my question when I sat down with them and had no idea and I'm just filming their stories, right? But I'm like, what can possibly help these women heal, grow and find purpose after trafficking? And and we just, we just found out and then through our experience with running a safe home, it's like long-term residential care. I don't think, I don't think people understand how, how intensive and how extensive survivor care is and then on on top of it, how long it is and so these these women 
I mean, I, I believe 100% in God's ability to heal miraculously in an instant. I know that, but I also know that he takes us through a process for a reason. And these women are brought through a process and it takes a long time. And so I feel like the answer to my question back then was like, there needs to be more long-term residential care across the world, but in our nation specifically, there's a huge, there's a huge gap. Like there's so many people that are, that have been called to this, that have stepped up, but you look at the numbers versus the beds, right? You guys know this, (laughs) there's a huge gap. So. Yeah, no, there absolutely is. But I think what's incredible, I like you made this point that you all got brought through a journey for two and a half years before you felt really prepared to step into this work. And you had to deal with your own, whether that's past or your, you know, whatever the situation was for you all at that time. But then we expect survivors who have endured so much trauma and sometimes over decades, depending on their age, we almost expect that that rescue be the thing that automatically switch it for them, and it isn't. So you can you share a little bit about what restorative care looks like in your all's program and maybe share something that is maybe unique to you all? Yeah, no, absolutely. So we we just felt like when we had the vision for it that we were supposed to do this as a family we were supposed to incorporate survivors into our family system and walk the journey with them we can go into so many reasons why we've seen that be super effective i i think they are orphans whether they have family they've come through you know come from broken families, whatever that looks like, they, there is this orphan spirit for these women. And so for them to be embraced into a family is is a huge thing. I think that's that's super beneficial for the healing journey. But but no, we've we learned early on that it's it's baby steps. And and the first I mean, you hear this around the, the nation for residential care, but the first 60 days for us really are just about basic needs. You can't even start to like formulate a healing plan and all of that until they first are just they're fed, you know, they're starting to get sleep and and they're they're just getting those basic needs met. I love the story in the Bible with like Elijah and he like, you know, conquers all the prophets of Baal. And then he goes and Jezebel is trying to kill him. And he's like under this tree and he's just absolutely depressed. And he's like, you know, just take my life. And the Lord doesn't, you know, counsel him. He doesn't do anything. He first sends an angel just to give him food and water. And that's how I feel like that's the process that we need to go through with these women is you first just start with those basic needs. And then after that, we, we work with them to create a personalized healing plan that is going to fit them. Every, every woman that or survivor that is coming out of trafficking, their, their needs are so unique. And so in the, in the home environment too, we really felt like we were able to see, okay, here's her unique needs. Here's her dreams. Here's her, her struggles. So then let's cater to that create a healing plan that's going to follow her for the next year to two years. And then we just, we work with a network of resources and therapists and yeah, people just to come alongside of these survivors and help them with that healing plan and hopefully get them into independence. I love that. Well, this Yale's program has just, it's been so incredible by bringing really a family unit around a survivor who has to your point, kind of been orphaned at some level, or at least has that mental approach of, of being an orphan. Y'all's program is so unique 
in how you serve the survivors, but you've gone through some transitions and now you are teaching and equipping others to do that. So as communities are becoming more aware about trafficking, what opportunities do you see for individuals to support trafficking survivors? Absolutely. So so here's the deal. We feel like Sammy and I's mandate for this next season is really to raise up the faith community to surround these survivors by bringing them into their home family system, walking the journey of healing with one survivor at a time. And the the, the point of this, the goal of this is to create a, a complete ecosystem of healing and care for survivors. And here's the deal. We need we need everybody. So all of the organizations that are already doing long-term residential care, that have wrong, long-term residential facilities, 30-day assessment, emergency assessment shelters, all of that, we need all of it. But we're, we're seeing this as like, how do we complete this ecosystem? And we think it's family systems. So what we're hoping to do is surround already built organizations that have all the resources and the tools and they're already doing this, but then being able to train up families in their ecosystem to take in a survivor at a time. And so that's our goal. That's what we're wanting to do. Our big part in that is walking families through the healing journey that Sammy and I went through. And um, we're creating a mentorship program where it's like we really just help them get equipped and ready to walk this journey with survivors. It's it's really holding specifically the church. It's holding the church to a higher standard of being like, no, we have a mandate to bring in the orphans and the widows and take care of them. And all fear aside, anybody can do this. If God has called a millennial family with small young children to do this and take trafficking survivors into their home, anybody can do it when you're called to do it. Seriously, there is a grace for it and you you can do it. And so, yeah, our goal is to just mentor an army of families nationwide to complete that ecosystem and hopefully create more beds so that we can do more long-term residential care for survivors throughout the country. Every time I hear it, like I, it's not new, but it's just, it's so powerful because we all, like, we know there's a capacity issue. We know that there are a lot of barriers to getting survivors into a home-like environment and they crave that family connection. They crave to feel a part of something and just the idea that that could take root in communities across America very quickly is just, it I don't know. I I stand in awe of what you all have done and just the way that you're listening and discerning the next steps that you're supposed to take because that's a huge part of this work. It's about not jumping in until you feel like you really have the clear picture of where you're supposed to go and then starting to really run. So I guess as you move into this next phase, what do you think is the opportunity for either legislators or corporations to kind of come alongside you all or the multitude of people that you're training up in communities across the U.S. to really feel a part of this? Oh, that's a good question. I I feel like the, this issue, and you, you girls know this, but like this issue, long-term residential care, this isn't just for a specific group. This is for everybody. I feel like when it comes to legislation and whatnot, there needs to be there needs to be more more people that are just fighting on behalf of these women. I, I, I I'm learning a lot. Like I don't know a lot about this, but I'm learning a lot right now about how important our government is, and even on a local level, and and for them to fight in 
against human trafficking and really create opportunities for us to be able to create long-term residential facilities that are going to be even noticed on a government level too, right? Because in, in like, how am I trying to say this? I, I feel like it's going to take all hands on deck to be like, okay, this is how long-term residential care looks like for human trafficking survivors. It's it's not just domestic violence. It's not, you know, it's not this over here. Like, this is what it's going to look like. It needs to be recognized on a government level, in a, in a community level. And so I feel like there's a message that needs to get out that that needs to be clear and we need to almost redefine what this residential care looks like and and then it needs to be promoted across the board does that make sense i'm like i i feel like absolutely okay i just this this message is so important and it's like how do we do that and this is beginning stages how do we show that it takes two years for a survivor to even get to the point where she can have any form of independence. And then she needs somebody to walk the journey with her after that. So when it comes to licensing, when it comes to like, for instance, here's an issue in Montana. We currently don't have any licensing that would apply to what we're doing. And, and so it's like, how do we go to local government and with legislation, how do we create best care practices for what we know works for human trafficking survivors and, and so I, I feel like that's part of it is like from from this position, from someone who's lived in a home with survivors and has walked the healing journey with them, we want best practices. We want this to do do this right. We want standards. We want the government in, for, in a local level and we want law enforcement and all of that. We want to work together to make sure that we're doing this to the best of our ability and the best that's going to be across the board. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, I think that's incredible. And I think we've seen so much of where there are many states that do try to figure it out, but sometimes their their process is is not survivor informed or it's talking to an organization who maybe serves a domestic violence group with a couple of sex trafficking survivors. And so the processes that are put in place are less adapted to what that that population, the human trafficking population really needs. And so it's getting legislation to be willing to say, yes, you do have a place in this, or that they do have a place in this, that then they need to look to industry experts to figure out what those standards of care are, enforce those standards of care, and support those standards of care across the state. And then getting the rest of the anti-trafficking organizations to really adhere to that. And while it might not be prescriptive, not every safe house has the same type of program. The overall objective of how we're going to go about serving survivors is still the same. Um, We still know that it it takes two years, whether you're in that emergency shelter phase or you're in that long-term shelter phase, everybody's still working towards that same goal and that continuum of care. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. This conversation is so important and what you what you girls are doing across the country is so important because we know that trafficking when you look at when you look at all of the issues that we have in our country, the the anti-human trafficking industry is a baby industry. Like that only became a thing 25, 35 years ago when that you know that term slavery's happen forever, right? But we didn't recognize that until 30 years ago. And so I, I feel like there's a lot of building 
that's happening right now. And I, and I really do believe we're in a season of building where where we are going to see things in legislation and we are going to th- see things across the board that it's like, no, 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 this is best practices. This is how we do this going forward. This is going to be the standard of care. And it's exciting, but it's also like, all right, let's do this thing because it is, it's, it's new. It hasn't been around for a long time. Right. Absolutely. So before we sign up, what is one message that you want survivors to hear? Oh man, I truly, truly believe that the reason why survivors have been through everything that they have is because they carry something so unique and and they are going to be generals in, in breaking through this issue in our country. I, I don't see them as victims. I, don't, I, I mean, yes, they're survivors, but even more so than that, you are generals. You are going to be leading the forefront. So when we have women in our home, it's more of like, yes, I, we're here to help you heal, grow, and find purpose, but it's also training ground because we know what you carry. And once you overcome everything that you've been through, there's nothing that can come against you, truly. I, I know that the greater the oppression, the greater the authority that you walk in when that healing and that freedom has taken place. And so I just want to say, like, we're here to back you up. We're here to follow you. We are here to continue to fight for you in your healing because we know what you carry and, and it's going to change the world. There's uh, Christy and I, we, we walked with um, one survivor together and we say it multiple times, like, we're going to be working for her someday because the wisdom that she has <laughs> And everything she's been through, it's it's like, no, I can't wait for that day when we can be like, no, we're going to follow you in this fight because, yeah, because it's so important what they carry. So I think that's what I would like to say to survivors. <laughs> that's the best answer I've ever heard to that question. I love that. And that's, that's so important. Brittany and I were with a survivor this week and... She said, what can I do for you? And we said, you know, we're really here to say, what can we do for you? You you are the, you are the one that is on the tip of the spear in a way that we never will be. And we are here to come alongside and be wind behind you. But at the end of the day, it's the survivors that are going to lead this industry forward. So I think you are absolutely right. And I love the heartbeat that her campaign has when it comes to serving survivors. I love that you guys are continuing to innovate and to drive forward and to expand and figure out how you can use your resources to multiply the efforts through other people. I think it's incredible. We are so excited as Safe House Project to even walk alongside you all through that process. And we know that you are going to be a big piece in truly changing the landscape in America. So thank you for all that you do. Oh, thank you, girls, too. Seriously, you are you are bringing unity to this industry, which is a huge, huge thing. I, I think, you know, spirit of competition has to completely go away. And that's exactly what you guys are doing. And together, there's nothing, you know, nothing that can come against when we're working together. And you guys are pivotal, your pinnacles in that of bringing unity to the industry. And then I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a million other things you guys are doing. And so we just appreciate it and your obedience and your vision to to step into this thing. We're glad to do it. Yep. Here's to As crazy day. as it all feels sometimes. <laughs> I mean, for real. <laughs> it is crazy. <laughs>
Well, thank you for joining us, Brittany. Let me leave you with a quote from William Wilberforce, who once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Each of us has had a defining moment in our life where we're faced with a choice to either engage or look away. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast for future content about how you can make a difference in ending trafficking. Thank you for listening.